be right now within your heart, just asking the Lord to speak to you. So God, I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that I want to invite you to speak to me right at my point of need, O oh Lord. Stir in my heart, God. Help me to see any blind spots that I may not be aware of in me spiritually. God, I just, we invite you to come fill this room, fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our souls. Just awaken our hearts to the truth of your word this morning, oh God. Lord, convict us. I wonder, would you ask, would you ask God to convict you where you need convicting right now, just in the silence of your heart? Just right there between you and God. Lord, we give this time over to you. I pray, God, that these will not be my words, Lord, but I'm asking that you would speak through me. Help me to be faithful to the text this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until he receives its early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome of, that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. The title of this morning is, I want patience now. <laughs> That's where the text is leading us this morning. So only thing you know, when I was a kid, um, when we got ready to change the channels, we had to get up out of the chair and walk across the room and flip the channels. Anybody with me this morning? Y'all remember that? Yeah. I mean, that's back now. I don't mean the first TV the television that we bought that one of those big nice sets, it didn't even have any buttons on the front. I mean, you had to go look, you lose the remote control, you're in trouble. We love convenience. Hey man, you, you look at fast food, fast food restaurants now. Like I know it's a Chick-fil-A's got two lines. I like it fast. And even better than that, you've even got an app now. You can go on, you can get on this app and order your food before you get there. And you pull up and they bring your food out to you. Same thing at the grocery store. Man, the more convenient you make it, the faster you make it, and the more we like it. So let me ask you a question. Is the culture that we're living in, does it help your patience grow? Is it growing patience in you? Just the culture that we have. Uh, and it's no wonder why we're in such a mess that we're in today. So let's go back to the very beginning. We're wrapping up James probably next week. It's been a wonderful journey, all for except last week. Last week was rough, but this week is, we'll talk about patience. This is something that none of y'all deal with. Y'all all are good with patience, right? So here's where we started right here. Consider it great joy. This is where James, the whole premise of the letter of James, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. 
I, mean, I, I could even rephrase that and say, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you find yourself in the year 2020. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and that could also be translated patience. We'll look at that in a moment. And let endurance or patience have its full effect. And here is it. Here this is what it's all about. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So let me just ask you a question this morning before we really get deep into our text this morning. Let me ask you, just, just answer this, not out loud. Don't turn the person next to them and tell them what you think of this. Here's a question I have for you. A scale of one to 10, 10 being the most, one being the least, how spiritually mature are you? Get that little number right there, just evaluation of yourself. Not anybody else, just you. Just think about that before we get off into this text this morning. Well, I got the, this is not a theological definition. Once again, this is right out of the dictionary. What, what is patience? So make sure we're on the same page. Patience is a capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So let me ask you something. How do you do with, how, how I mean, when I pull up to a red light and it's like got multiple lanes and there's multiple cars, I don't know about you, but I'm looking to see which one the, the fastest cars are and I'm going to get behind them because that means I'm going to get through this quicker. If I see like there's an 18-wheeler, I don't get behind the 18-wheeler. When I go up to the, to, if I go in the store, I'm going to go actually go shop and go check out. I don't go to the longest lines. Well, what, what do we do? We go look for the shortest lines, don't we? So how do you like it when you're faced with delay? What about trouble? Now, I do fully realize some people like trouble, but maybe you might be the type of person that doesn't like trouble. How about the suffering? Can you go through suffering without getting anger or upset? This is what Julius Caesar said. Now, he was, he was executed about 50 years before the birth of Christ. He was the one that kind of is, is, uh, you know, founded the Roman Empire. So here's what he said. He said, it's easier to find men who will volunteer to die than to find those who are willing to endure pain without, with patience. That says a lot about patience right there, doesn't it? He says, I can find people who are willing to die. When it comes just to, to dealing with pain, with pain, I, can't, I have a hard time finding that person. Where's the good news today? If you say, man, you know, I'm not doing too good with patience. I got good news for you today. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Notice, not plural, it's fruit. What that means is, is that when you have one, you have a little bit of all of them. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're to one degree or another, you're going to have every single one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not fruits, okay? So the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, and look at there, there it is, patience. So it's there. Now, to what degree that you are experiencing it, now that's all contingent on how much you're allowing the Holy Spirit to, to dwell, move, work in your life. John 16, 33, here's what Jesus said. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me, we're always talking about that position, in Christ Jesus, that in me, that's what salvation is, a salific terminology right there, that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will, definitely, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Oh, but take heart. And what does that mean? What does it mean to take heart? We're going to learn that this morning also. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And that goes back to being in me. What am I? Am I in Christ Jesus? Is that where my identity is? Is that where my value is? Or am I in the world? Is that where my identity and my value are found? Hebrews 10.36, I mean, I, I think this is 
Before we get diving into our, our primary text this morning, this is, lays a foundation right here. This is so good. Look at, what, look at what this says. Patient endurance. That's already, that's really getting good right there. <laughs> Patient endurance is what you need now. Can anybody say amen to that? So that you will continue to do God's will. Because see, here's, you can do God's will for an hour. Maybe half a day. Maybe some of you a day. Maybe some of you can kind of string together a few days. But for you to be able to consistently do the will of God, then what the Bible's saying is that you need something. You need patient endurance. That's the only way. And now we've already qualified, where does this patience come from? It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, so it means that there has to be some kind of a surrendering taking place in my life that I'm not in control. So that you will continue to do God's will, then you will receive all that God has promised. So here, let's hit our text this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the Christians. If you were here last week, man, he was getting after the rich. And this week, he's now he's going to say, listen, for you that, that, are, that things aren't going so well for you, I got some encouragement for you today. So here's what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's, and the Greek word right here for coming, we have no English equivalent for this Greek word is parousia, is what it's called. Parousia, now, in the Greek culture, parousia, what that meant was like with a, a foreign king, when he would come and take over an empire, it was his parousia. That meant that he came into an empire, and now his authority and his rule, it overrules everything. It just took, he took over the empire. The empire. Okay, so, so listen to this. So, be patient, the Lord's. Parousia. Now, see, we think about the Lord's coming. We always think about the second coming, okay? And, and I'm not saying that that isn't what James is talking about, but here's what you have to understand. This is about Jesus' kingdom rule and authority overpowering everything. See, our struggle today is that we are not in control, okay? And, and is, is there a battle going on in our world right now for control? Hmm? So our, our struggle is we are not in control, but here's what James is saying. He's saying that God is in control and get ready because all you got to do is you got to hang on because when you hang on, it's all going to come to a head and Jesus, his power, his authority, he's going to overrule every, every lie is going to die. Every sin is going to be wiped out. Death, the grave, the hospitals, the prisons, all coming to an end. When he comes and he establishes his rule, that all comes to an end. It's not going to matter then who the kings of this world, who the rulers of this world are. What's going to matter then is, is he is going to be the ruler, singular, the ruler. He will rule. Have you ever, now I see some of y'all, I know some of you in here that y'all are, I know there's marathon runners in here right now. I mean, I saw some of them coming in a while ago, some of you guys that, here's what, I, now I'm not a marathon runner, but it's always interesting to me to watch the dude run 20 something miles. How many is it, what is a marathon? Is it 20, 26? He gets down to the very end. If y'all, you watch the end and they take off sprinting. How on earth do you run 26 miles and then all of a sudden, man, the last 100 yards, you're in an all-out sprint? Because the finish, because, I mean, they, they, it's near, man. I mean, they're almost there. The adrenaline kicks in. And that's what James is saying to us. 
Man, listen, you that are in Christ Jesus, man, the, the, the Holy Spirit adrenaline should be kicking into you. You should be ready to go at a sprint. You should be ready to go all out in this because you are nearing the very... Do you realize something? Now, one of these, I mean, we are all going to pass over into eternity. You realize that, right? This is, this right here is this very temporary. We are all headed and, and once... You cross over into eternity. There's no coming back. There's no do-overs. We got one shot at this right here and right now. So let me just say this. You're in the right place right here and right now. Because we're going, not, that, not that you're in the best church in the world, but we're going to dig into God's word and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit's going to bring some transformation into our life. So we on that day, we'll be ready. So right now, we'll be running with a new energy that we've never had before, man. I mean, people are looking at us like, what is wrong with them? How can they be running like that in the race of life? Because, man, listen, the end is near, and I'm excited to cross that finish line. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Because you can't, the farmer can't hurry the crop. The farmer can't make it rain. The farmer has to deal with what he has. He has to work. I don't, I don't know if we're hearing it this morning, church, because this is an analogy for where you're at right now. He has to work with what he's got. Sometimes it's good conditions. Sometimes it's not so good conditions. So maybe right now your life is you got good conditions, good circumstances, or maybe this morning in your life, circumstances aren't so good. See, this is what James is saying. He's saying that Regardless of where you're planted, you need to be growing. Because see, here's what the truth is. Oswald Chambers said this, and my most for his highest, and man, I read that and I never forgot it. He said, if you don't grow where you're planted, you won't grow anywhere. So I want you to know, in a farmer context, I want you to think about you right now, right where you're at right now. How are you doing with your growing? How are you doing responding to the life that you're living right now? Think about that in this context. Here's a farmer. He waits with a reasonable hope and expectation of reward. Is that you today? He waits a long time. Some of y'all can say, yeah, that's me. He waits working all the while. He waits depending on things out of his own control with his eyes on the heavens. He waits despite changing circumstances and many uncertainties. He waits encouraged by the value of the harvest. He waits encouraged by the work and the harvest of others. He waits because he really has no other option. He waits because it does no good to give up. He waits aware of how the seasons work. You do realize that you are in a season of your life right now, right? He waits because as time goes on, Everybody in here over 40 years old, as time goes on, it becomes more important and not less to do so. Let us not get tired. Anybody tired this morning? I'm not talking about physical tired, okay? I mean, are you tired emotionally? Are you tired of 2020? Are you tired of waiting on the election results? Are you tired of relational struggles that you've been in for years and years? Things you've been praying for God to relieve you from, and instead of it getting better, it seems to be getting worse. I'm asking you this morning, are you tired? Let us not get tired of doing good. See, now in the middle of your exhaustion, here's what I want to encourage you. Don't get tired of doing good. 
for we will reap at a proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, that's right here and right now, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who who belong to the household of faith. So what Paul's saying to the church of Galatia is, listen, right now you have an opportunity to be serving the Lord. Take advantage of this opportunity. Don't use the excuse of being tired, of being beat down, of people mistreating you. Don't fall into that lie. Take the opportunity that you have now to serve the Lord, man. Listen, run like you never ran before because, man, that, listen, the end of that race is nearer than any of us can anticipate. You also must be patient. <laughs> I mean, just, just, just hang on, church. Let's just, let's just look at that. You must, you also must be patient. What if every church member in the world was patient? Could you imagine? Man, people would be flocking to our churches then, wouldn't they? Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So let's talk about that. So let's just say, let me ask you another question, okay? So let's say that someone came to you today before you came walking into this church service and they said, hey, I got a question for you. How do you strengthen your heart? How would you answer that question? Look what the Bible says. Here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul says when it comes to strengthening your heart. He says this. He says, you know the thorn in the flesh? He said, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of, buffer, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And I prayed three times for God to remove it. But here's what it says. But he said to me, Instead of removing the thorn of the flesh, instead of removing the pain, instead of removing the suffering, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So how do you strengthen your heart? And I say, my, my, my answer would have been, oh, you read the Bible more, you pray more, man, you seek God more. Maybe that does strengthen your heart. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, man, when I'm wrecked out, that's what strengthens my heart. When I get to the point to where I can't do anything, where I've exhausted everything, and I'm praying to God to help me, and God doesn't help me, that's where my heart gets strengthened, when everything falls apart. Because then I realize I can't do this. I've got to surrender. Only God can do this. That's what strengthens my heart. He says then, he goes, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So there comes our answer for how you strengthen your heart. It's all in surrendering. It's not in you being stronger, it's Christ being stronger in you. I mean, for I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. They said today, you say, hey, you know, I want to grow in my patience. I want to grow in my spiritual life. Then then, then what the Bible is telling us this is the first step is surrender. It's it's, it's not what the world, like the world world says, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Hey, there may be some truth to that, but as far as biblically, What's concerned is, is that I've got to be willing to surrender myself, die to myself, my wants, my needs, make it where it's not so much about me and it's more about Jesus. That's where, I, that's where the strength, because then his strength takes over where, where I'm insufficient. See, he's sufficient. Where everything is lacking in this world, he's never lacking. 
So you that are in Christ Jesus, you have got the very Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is inside of you. Brothers and sisters, what James, he, look how many times he says this. He's making sure that the Christians are hearing this is for you. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. Well, there's another one right there. If every, every church member in the world did that one, huh? Do not complain about one. Because here's the thing. Whenever life puts us in a squeeze, are you hearing me say amen if you're listening right now? When life puts us in a squeeze, whatever is inside of us is going to come out. So whenever I get put in a squeeze, if there's a lot of complaining, a lot of anger, and a lot of griping coming out, that's what's inside of me. And listen, here, this is the this is simple truth right here, and you know this is true. Whatever I put in is going to come out. It's my responsibility what I allow into my heart and into my mind. And whatever I put in there, I mean, when I get squeezed, listen, it's all good. And everything's great, and we come to church, and somebody says, hey, I'm blessed, man. Everything is great. But man, whenever you get away from the church, and you get away from God's people, and you get out there in the world, and everything is crumbling at your feet, and everything is coming undone, and it looks like nothing is going to work out, and life puts you in a squeeze, and somebody says, how are you doing? There may be something totally different coming out then. And let me make this crystal clear. This isn't about you putting on a fake smile and saying, I'm doing good and I'm doing great. This is about us being real. And sometimes we're not great. Sometimes we're not good. But see, God is always good, even when I'm not good. That even when my circumstances are crumbling, God is still good. So do not complain about one another. Because James knows that whenever we get put in a squeeze, we're going to start complaining about other people. i got to talk some more about this, okay? <laughs> the devil wants you to get mad at people you go to church with. He wants you to be agitated with the people that you go to. All of you that are serving in some kind of capacity that are serving here at the Bridge Fellowship, then here's what I know. I know this much. You've been aggravated at somebody else here in the church, maybe even me. <laughs> but have you ever stopped to consider that you know, it's not always about us being aggravated with other people. Sometimes other people get aggravated with us. And, and here's what I can tell you. I need a, listen, you're going to start working with me? I'll tell you right now, I'm going to need a lot of grace. And here's what I can tell you. I'm going to reciprocate that too. I'm going to give you a lot of grace also. Because Jesus said we're to love one another just as he's loved us, and we're to forgive one another just as he has forgiven us. So here's what I can tell you. The devil wants you to get mad at the people you go to church with. Because if you get mad at the people you go to church with, then guess what? You're going to not go to church. And if you don't go to church, you'll isolate. And when you isolate, then you are the easy target then. All right, we'll try to move on now. So that you will not be judged. Oh, listen, you know, I want to make this, sugarcoat this down and make you feel real good about this, but I can't do it, okay? Because when I look at this, you will not be judged. Man, listen, krenon right here is a Greek word. Here's what you have to understand about krenon. Every time it's used in the New Testament, it's used of the judgment of the person being judged and sent to hell. <laughs> it's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, it's like, wait a second, I want you to say, like, I'll be judged on the judgment day as a Christian and all that. No, no. What, what James is saying is this, is that if I'm going to be the top person that complains and argues and gripes and is always at odds with everybody else, then I'm proving that I have an unredeemed heart. 
That it's not, there's no regenerative work of the Holy Spirit going inside of me. If I'm always at odds and complaining and mad and angry about everything and causing discord, then I'm proving right there that, listen, I'm lost. And this is why James says right here that you'll not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. So James is saying this. He's saying, listen, the judge right now, man, he's, Jesus is right there at the door, so you better watch your mouth. That's the easiest way that I can put it right there. So here, I want to put this up so we all can have a look at this because we asked you a while ago, how's your spiritual maturity doing? So here's what James is teaching us. Your spiritual maturity is not measured by how much of the Bible you know, how much you pray, or how involved you are in the church. It is made evident by how little you complain and grumble. Because there's a lot of people that know a lot of Bible. And they complain and grumble and are mad at everybody. Pray, say they pray a lot, and still grumble, angry. And you can, you can do these, you can serve a church, do all these things, and still be untransformed. But the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is working inside of my heart. Then guess what? Instead of grumbling and complaining and being mad, I'm going to be grateful. That's where it changes. It changes my heart and my attitude to one of gratitude instead of grumbling and angry and thinking I'm always getting the short end of the stick and everybody else is mean. And they're, man, this is why I don't go to church because of those hypocrites. <laughs> We're all hypocrites to one degree or another, my friend. Every single one of us, every person walking on the face of the earth to one degree or another, that is just an excuse. And one of these days, all excuses are not going to stand. One of these days, all lies are not going to stand. But you, Romans 14, 10, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And what, what Paul's telling the church, the, Rome, the Roman Christians right here, he's saying, you don't be worried about judging other people. You should be worried about the fact that one of these days you're going to be judged. Now, let me ask you something. You that have grown up in church, have we not historically been very judgmental in the church? Yes. Man, listen, you don't do this, you don't do that. And if you do these things over here, then, man, you are whatever you fill in the blank. You, and you can't do these things. If you, listen, the only way that you can be a part of us is if you don't partake in these things over here. Don't, 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 don't. And then if you do, then we judge you and we condemn you. You're not one of us. Do you, do you, I mean, do we all agree there's a big problem with that in here this morning? It's a massive problem with that, right? This isn't about what I do and I don't do. This is about, am I being transformed by the Holy Spirit? Hey, listen, where did you put your number a while ago on the spiritual maturity of 1 to 10? Where did you put that? Let me tell you something. If you put that number above five, then bless your heart. You're probably dealing with a bunch of people that are immature around you. Am I telling the truth? If you put it above five, then most of the time, if we're going to say, yeah, well, you know, I'm about an eight, then you're going to think, well, everybody else are about a four or three. <laughs> you know, God knows, man, I'm a, this is, you're preaching to me. I've got to be patient with these immature people. Well, let's understand something. Once again, it's not about them becoming more mature. It's about you, me. It's about, am I maturing? We always want everybody else to be more mature. 
And God's trying to mature us. Back to our text. Brothers and sisters, he says it again. Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name, for example, for an example of suffering and patience. Now, the, the patience right here, makrothomia, that's right, this patience with adverse people, the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. That's supposed to be a period right there, just in case you're wondering what that is. <laughs> See, we count as blessed those who have, this is another one, right? So they use an endured right here, which is a good translation right here. Hupameno is a word right here, which is also, hupameno can also be translated patience, okay? This is patience with adverse circumstances. So it's about being patient with people that are difficult. Have you got any of those in your life? And it's about being patient with circumstances that are difficult. Have you got any of those in your life? Well, that's what James is saying, that we are to be patient in both of these situations, with people and with our circumstances. You have heard of Job's endurance. Oh, man, he has got the patience of Job. People never even read the Bible say that, right? And why do, they, why do people say, well, you got the patience of Job? Have you ever read the whole book of Job? Okay. Uh, I mean, hey, we got some time. Let's talk about Job for a moment. <laughs> so here's what it is. So he's writing to Jewish Christians. They're familiar with the book of Job. I, I remember one time there was a my Sunday school teacher, an older man in my church, and he said, and he said, oh, I don't know why they put the, I don't even know why they put the book of Job in the Bible. Man, I wish they wouldn't have put that thing in there. That's because he only read the first three chapters. If he read the last five chapters, he'd see why they put the book of Job in there. Let's talk about Job for a moment, okay? Let's just, let's, let's just I, wanna, I want you to get an understanding of Job because here's the thing. Job, like if you're looking at the first book that was written in the Bible, it wasn't Genesis, all right? It was Job. You got that? So like the, Job is a contemporary of like Abraham, but it's one of the most theologically rich books in the Bible, let me just show you something here, okay? Because this will help you if you'll just soak this in for just a moment. Get this. There was once a man, um, a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. That was right next to Oz, I think. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. So he's got 10 children, okay? Am I right there, Chuck? Okay. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, five teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He wouldn't tell them, you go pray. Job, listen. Dads, listen to me. You men that you have children, even and especially adult children, they're under your covering, your prayer covering. you got to be praying for them. If you're not praying for them, then they don't have that covering over their lives. You moms also, you pray too, but I want to tell you dads, it is essential for you to be praying over your children. Look at this. I just, just take my word for it. Look at what we're going to learn from this. So he would get up early in the morning because he's busy, like some of you are. Some of you are right now, like, oh, I would pray, but I'm too busy. Well, he would get up early in the morning, and he would offer a burnt offering for each of them. That took time and work. I've never done this before, but they'd have to take it, clean it, cut it up, quarter it up, take it a little bit, and then take, build the fire, and then they'd put it on there, and they would burn it off. It took a lot of time to do this. All you got to do is just pray. 
You don't have to cut any animals or anything. For Job said to himself, perhaps it may be a possibility just in case my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. He said, it might just be that one of my kids has sinned. And just in case, I'm going to be praying over them. See, now, here's what, see some of you right now, you're like, what do you mean? I can't pray for my, my kids' sins to be forgiven. They got to do that. You're right. I'm not saying you do that. Here's what I'm saying. Whenever we have unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our lives, then we leave ourselves, our lives open for the devil to get a stronghold on us. So what you're doing is you're praying a covering over them that there will not be any strongholds that can get attached to their lives. It's called spiritual warfare prayers. And the only way that you can effectively do that is by the power and authority you have in Christ. So your children, guess what? They're under your authority. You got to be praying for them, you wives. If your husband isn't praying, listen, don't nag him into praying. You start praying. You do the best that you can. They're under your covering too. You're under his, but they're under yours as well. You need to be praying as well. So then the Lord, so God told Satan, said, hey man, check out Job down there. He is a righteous dude. And here's what Satan, and the Lord said, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him? There it is, that's spiritual warfare prayers right there. A hedge of protection around him. Now, so if I got the hedge of protection around me, then here's what I know, and around my children. Nothing comes into our life without first going through the hands of God. And if it goes through his hands, then it comes with great meaning and purpose. Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You bless the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Do you see something here? The devil can't do anything without getting permission from God. There's no arm wrestling match going on. Yeah, <laughs> that's good news, isn't it? So what's he do? He goes out from the Lord's presence and he goes, and I mean, immediately he strikes everything. Job, all 10 children die, loses it. Now listen, hang on a second. I never have lost a child. I much less could not imagine losing 10 children all at once. And he lost everything he had. So here he is, lost everything. And he doesn't curse God. And God says, hey, listen, look at my boy Job down there. He's still praising me. And here's what the devil says. He says, skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is your, in your power. Only spare his own life. Once again, God puts the parameters down. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with, ter with terrible bulls from the soles of his feet to the top 
of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. I mean, the last person that he was hoping would encourage him, that's what he gets. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Oh, this is so good. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? That's a a question for all of us this morning. Am I only going to take good stuff from God and then when adversity comes, I'm going to get mad and not accept that? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. And then three of Job's friends show up. And it said that when they saw Job from a distance, they didn't recognize him. And they were so broken, they torn their clothes and they poured ashes over themselves. And they sat at a distance for a few days and didn't even say a word. But then the religion kicked in. And they decided they were going to straighten Job out. And they one by one came to Job and said, Job, the only reason bad things happen to people is because they do bad things. You must have sinned somewhere. Why don't you go ahead and fess up and get out from under this? And you, you read... Chapter 1 with me. Remember, he didn't. He was a righteous man. And now, now listen, you see, you got to hear this this morning. When bad things happen to you, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is punishing you. You live in a broken, sinful world. You realize that, right? It isn't that God is... I mean, sometimes, yes, God disciplines those He loves, but sometimes when you run into bad stuff, hard times, it isn't God's punishment. Sometimes it's God growing us. Do you think that 2020 got out from under God's control? Do you think it slipped out from under his foot? He's just kind of up there right now trying to catch back up. I don't think so either. So Job's friends, they come, they accuse him. And Job says, man, you know, there's no sin, man. It's everything. I mean, the dude was so serious about sin. He even prayed over his children that they, it's not that. Job 13, 15. Here's what Job gets to the point. He says, though he slay me. I will hope in him. Even if God destroys my life, I'll never stop believing in him. God told told Job's friends, he says, all of y'all have falsely accused me. Are you hearing me? Go read the story for yourself. You're falsely accusing me as punishing Job. So you need to take your offerings and go to Job and ask Job to pray for you. Here's what it says. It says that whenever Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. I know we could preach a good prosperity sermon right there, but you know we're not going to do that, right? Don't get caught up on his stuff, okay? And here's what you have to know. If you go read verse by verse through Job, he hits some dark days. He hits some times where he's like, man, I wish I never would have been born. And he said, I wish that you would just blot out the day that they said that I was born. So it wasn't that Job had an easy go at it. Job put some serious questions on God, and God had to come back at Job and say, listen, you need to back up. Hold on a second. But at the very end, here's what you you have to understand. Job had every right to be angry with his friends. Are you hearing me this morning? Because nobody can hurt you like a friend. Nobody can hurt you like somebody you love. And it says that when Job prayed for his friends, the release came. Now, we could look at that and go, that's the hinge pin right there, but it's not. Remember to show you the verse to me that is the verse right in the middle of his suffering? In the middle of the chapter 19, man, when he is 
ready to die. This is what he says. For I know, listen, listen I'm hoping, doesn't say I faith, have faith. He says, I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. Capital letters because it's God. I know, right in the middle of this worst possible scenario, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that the last day, he will stand upon the earth, on a redeemed earth, on a glorified earth, glorified heaven. Man, he's going to stand one day. I know it. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, and he was probably ready for his skin to be destroyed because he was in pain, yet in my flesh, in my glorified body, this is a contemporary of Abraham. No Bible's been written yet. I shall see God. Oh, that to me says it all. That to me is why at the very end we come to, we see Job and everything's restored and people are coming along and they're, they're, they're blessing him and all this kind of stuff. That's why I think because, listen, Job knew everything here and now is temporary and I'm not putting my hope in this stuff and these people, anything around me. My hope is in God alone and nothing else. Not in a government of this world. Joseph, his own brother, sold him as a slave to Egypt. <laughs> they threw him down the pit, and they stood around the pit, and they said, oh, let's just go off and let him die. One of them's like, oh, let's don't do that. Let's make a little bit of money off of him. Let's pull him up out of here and sell him to some slave traders. They pulled him up out of the pit, sold him for a few pieces of silver. Hang on a second. What did Judas Iscariot do? Yeah. And there he goes. He goes into, he, he goes into Egypt, and he, he becomes a slave there. He becomes a, a, a man in Potiphar's house, and he ends up being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, ends up in prison for 13 years for doing the right thing. And God delivers him through visions of a dream to become the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world. And his brothers come back to him. And his brothers come walking up with their hats, hats in their hand because their lives are in his hands now, whether they live or die. And they recognize that it's him. And when they recognize, they're like, oh man, he is going to get his vengeance now. And here's what he says to them. As for you, your intention. Like, are you listening today, Christian, in Christ Jesus, under a sovereign God that's got everything under his control? Are you hearing today when the people mistreat you? When things don't go the way that they should, are you reading this? Are you hearing this? As for you, you meant it as evil against me. Yes, there's an evil intention there to destroy me. But God meant it for good. God had other intentions. When everything was falling apart and it doesn't make any sense, God has got other intentions. And the intentions for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive so that they are today. Y'all glad you came to church today? Above all, here's what James says. He gets down here to the, this. We're getting cl close to the end of it. He says, above all this other stuff I just told you, this is more important than any of it. Get this. My brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, by any other oath, but let your yes be mean yes and your no, no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. What he's saying here is, is that the Christians were getting to the point where they were lying so much that they had to say, oh, I swear I'm telling you the truth. He said, don't do that. Listen, now, is it wrong to take an oath? No. I mean, I took an oath whenever I married Melissa, an oath before God. I took an oath whenever I was ordained as a pastor. 
There's anything wrong with taking an oath before God, but there's something wrong whenever I take a flippant oath and I say, oh, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. Man, I tell you what, I hope to die and stick a needle in my eye, all that kind of goofy junk, you know? We did as we were kids. He said, don't do that. You should be so believable that you don't have to say, I swear. You should be so much about the truth that when you say it, that you say it one time and your word is good enough as a believer. You can go look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. But here's where we want to land this morning. Therefore, okay, this is, you know, chapter 6, Matthew 6, 33. Anybody familiar with that? Say amen if you know what 33 says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Hang on a second, church. Some of y'all done checked out on me. And the ones of y'all that have checked out on me, y'all might be worried about tomorrow. There's a whole lot of people worried about tomorrow where we're living right now. Hey, let me tell you something. The election will be settled sometime next year, probably. <laughs> so be patient. Okay? Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Lamentations 3, 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Aren't you glad <laughs> you don't ever exhaust God's mercies? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, every morning I need God's mercies to be renewed in my life. Listen, you can't run off yesterday's grace. You know that, right? You can't run off yesterday's fuel, off yesterday's spiritual victory. It's got, listen, every day we got to come back and be renewed every single day. Listen, why did God do that? Couldn't God just submit we're a total 100% sanctification for the rest of our life? Couldn't he do that? He could because he's going to. One of these days when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be 100% sanctified then, no more sin. But until then, every day, we got to have those mercies renewed. Every day, I got to come back before the Lord, pray, seek his face every single day. Because if not, then we run out. We're broken vessels. We're going to be emptied out by this life in this world. And then the stress and everybody else saying, oh, my God, the world is coming to an end because this president, this guy's going to be president or this. What? No, it's not. It's not. Romans 13.1, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So yeah, we vote, we pray, but at the end of the day, doesn't matter if somebody's cheating or not cheating, whatever it may be, the guy that God wants to be there will be there. Okay? So I just want to tell you today, see, some of you right now, you're, you're, you know, our world is coming undone because it's like both sides are like, cheaters! But here's what I'm saying is that God's word said that whoever gets there only gets there because God allowed them to get there, not because somebody cheated or didn't cheat or whatever it may be. That's the only way they get there. So yeah, we do our part. We vote, we pray. But we know that God's ultimately sovereign. 
First of all, then, I urge that petitions and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So you know what we need to be doing? Here's what, here's what we need. We need to be praying that whenever it is finalized, that we have peace, that there isn't rioting and killing and the craziness that we, that, that has always been here, but 2020 has seemed to heighten. We need to be praying for peace. Because we got half of our na- people in our nation that are going to be angry, whichever way it goes. I mean, y'all, isn't it crazy how close the election is? Even if there isn't anybody cheating or if there is somebody cheating, I mean, it, it's really crazy. So I need more patience. If I need more patience, then here's what I need to be doing. I need to be looking at this first thing every morning. Here's a here's the first verse I look at every morning. I don't get my phone out first. I don't go to the internet first. I don't go to any. This is the first thing I see every morning right here. This these verses right here. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Every day, that's what I see first thing. I want that to set my heart every day. Because my heart has got to be reset because his mercies are new every day. And I done ran out. When I go to sleep, something crazy happens, man. I don't know what happens, but I'm like a duck. I work, wake up in a new world every day. I need to get fixed every morning spiritually. Pray this. Here's another one we need to be praying. Lord, I mean, if you need more patience, I would encourage you to pray this. Lord, help me today to recognize every rogue and toxic thought and take them captive to the obedience of Christ. That's out of 2 Corinthians 10.5, that God would help me think rightly. Hey, let me ask you something. Where is your patience running thin? Who is making your patience run thin? One more. Lord, help me today to dwell on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, then give me a desire to dwell on these things. That's from Philippians 4.8. This right here is the the prayer that I added in. What's, What's in the brackets there? Let's all stand this morning. So I want to ask the prayer team, if y'all would, come on down. Let's do some praying this morning. If you uh, want to join us in prayer, if you want to, may I tell you what, if our nation needs prayer, it needs prayer now. So if you want to come down and even if you're not on the prayer team, just come down here and you want to pray, join us in coming down to the altar and praying over our nation. And you feel welcome to come down. So Father, right now we come and we, we hold before you our nation, Lord. God, we pray that we're praying for peace 
We're praying for peace on both sides, both political parties, that whatever the result is, God, we pray that you would squash all attempts of rioting, all attempts of civil war, of whatever that may be. But God, that your peace would just pour over our nation in a supernatural way. God, we know that you are the one who sets the kings, the rulers, and the authorities. So God, we want to trust you that whatever the results are, God, that you are in control and that you're working all things out for our good regardless. So I heard in church many, many times people say, don't pray for patience because the only way God gives you patience is through suffering. And He does give us patience through suffering, but He also gives us patience through surrender. The reason that usually it comes through suffering is because that's usually the only time we'll surrender is when we've suffered. But you know you can willingly surrender yourself right here and right now. And usually suffer, suffering brings about gratitude. So also God can increase your patience when you increase your gratitude. So right now, is what area of your life do you need to surrender? Where is that life that, where, what part of your life are you so fearful it's not going to work out? You're so, you don't think God's in control of this area. Can you just give him that right now? Can you just turn that over to him right here and right now? What have you got today to be thankful for? I can help you if you don't know the fact that you walked in here and that you can be in this room right now, that you physically are well enough. There's something to be grateful for right there. If you've got somebody right now that's standing next to you that loves you, you've got a lot to be grateful for. If you've got a job, you've got something to be grateful for. If you've been forgiven of all of your sins, <laughs> that's a lot to be grateful for. If you are in Christ Jesus, God hears every one of your prayers. Oh, what a great promise and truth that is. So God, we thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. So right now, why don't you just thank him for something right now? Maybe you should be thankful that we're almost through the book of James. It's been rough. 
So some of you, you don't, you don't deal well with change and 2020 has stretched you because so much has changed. So right now, why don't you just pray about that for just a moment before we head out. So you just bring that before the Lord and say, God, why is it that I struggle with change? Is it some fear inside of me? God, just help me to take every thought captive. Keep at the forefront of my mind that you are in control. In the middle of this chaos that I'm living in, help me to remember that you are good and you're in control. See, some of you, you have lost this year. There's been great loss and great suffering. And what James says is, James says, would you just step back and consider Job? And there was a season in his life where he lost more than you did. And Job was still able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. He'll stand upon the earth one of these days in my flesh I will stand on the earth and see him in the glorified state. What's going to matter on that day? 2020 won't matter on that day. Election results won't matter on that day. The people who broke your heart that won't even matter on that day. But what will matter on that day will be your relationship with Him. And right now is the day to deepen that, to work on that, and to surrender yourself to that. So today, God, I surrender myself to You, to Your power and Your authority rule over my life. Would you, would you surrender yourself to the authority role of Jesus over whatever it is you're worried about, fearful about? Amen. You may be seated. Who's doing announcements? You doing announcements? Rebecca? Rebecca? serve others. We go to the out-of-bound places, the ends of the earth. The world is changing, but the gospel doesn't change. The message of the cross doesn't change. We're going to make every effort 
us share the gospel. The world has been decimated by COVID-19, but the work here at Samaritan's Purse, it never stops. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do it through Operation Christmas Shop. It's a platform that God has given Samaritan's Purse to share the gospel more than 10 million times every year. Jesus loves you. The wonderment of it is that the child's encounter is not with material things. By faith, the encounter is with things unseen, and they're receiving that for the very first time. From the shoebox to the greatest journey, this is the Great Commission. During this pandemic, during all the fear that COVID-19 has brought to the world, this is when we go out and share the truth. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a job to do. This is what these shoe boxes are all about, going out in the heart of this darkness, the heart of this virus, to go out and to bring a hope of Jesus Christ around the world. Is there a sense of urgency? Yes, there is. Because there's kids out there without the knowledge and the hope of Jesus Christ. Get out there to be a part of this. Right now, it's the time. Okay, I know about y'all, but I just love, I love those videos. I love seeing those kids and their faces, and it just, it gets me spurred on. I don't know about y'all, but I just really want to show that video today because I just wanted us to see how there's so much more to Operation Christmas Child than just putting a couple gifts in a shoebox for a kid who's going to open it up and then maybe forget about it in 30 minutes. How there's just, that can really just impact them and how, just like the video said, especially this time in our world, with just so much negativity and uncertainty, how there really is such a great urgency for us to go out and spread the gospel and how Operation Christmas Child is just such an efficient way to do that. So with that being said, I just want to remind everybody that next week, next Sunday, is the due date for those shoeboxes. I will be collecting them in the front lobby by my table. You can just bring them and drop them off. And then that week, I'm going to be taking them to uh, the drop-off centers. I've had a couple of questions about the shoeboxes, and I wanted to clear those up right now while everybody's here. The first one is about shoeboxes themselves. I still have some shoeboxes available if you want to get one from me and fill it up. If not, any type of cardboard or plastic shoebox is going to work great. Please be mindful of what you pack in them. So no liquids, no hand sanitizer, toothpaste, candy, war-related items like little guns or army men or anything breakable, please. Um, each box, they do ask that you give a $9 donation. These donations go for shipping, handling, training volunteers, resources for the communities that these shoeboxes are going for. There's two ways that you can give these donations. One is you can go to SamaritansPurse.org and donate it straightly online. You can print out a little traveling ticket and you can put it on your shoebox and you can kind of see where your shoebox is going to end up in the world, which is kind of exciting. Or on my table, I have these little brochures that say how to pack a shoebox. There is a money envelope on the back of it. You just fill it out, put your money in, and you just slip it right into your shoebox. If you have multiple boxes, it's okay. You can put all your money in one box. The most important thing is that they're getting the donation. Uh, the next thing is... There are these little tickets that let me know 
who your box is for. So same thing, you can print it out online or you can get it from those brochures on the table. They're little tickets that say boy or girl, ages two to four, etc. Please mark out who you packed your shoebox for and put those right on top of the boxes. They really help with organizing the boxes and separating them out. If y'all have any other questions, you can come see me. I'll be hanging out by the table after service today. And so, yeah. My kids love tracking to see where their boxes end up. So that's really fun if you haven't done that before. That's a really cool way. So go ahead. I know you probably took some great notes from the sermon. Keep your pen out and jot some of these things down. The first thing I want to uh, share with you guys is the men's retreat is this Saturday. Ladies, if your man thinks he doesn't want to go, then help convince him. And um, guys, you guys should absolutely attend this event. It's going to be this Saturday at Disciples Crossing in Athens, Texas. The cost is $15. Let's go ahead and blanket statement that you guys, cost should never, ever, ever keep you from attending or going to anything. So um, if that's something that the devil's keeping in your head and keeping you from going, go, we'll sort it all out. Um, it's from two to 10. There are other, um, what's it called? Details. Um, that we can give you guys on our church website. If you click on the link, it has the address to the event. And of course, if you'll grab anybody uh, in the church, any of the leaders, the ministry leaders, or myself, we'll give you more details if you have questions. Another um, exciting thing is that today is our very first practice for the children's program, for the Christmas program. So mark your calendars for December 13th. That's when the program will be. And you guys, it's always so much fun. And there's always that one kid that does extra that's always fun too. So you guys want to make sure to watch for that. But today, if your kids want to participate, that's anyone aged kindergarten through 12th grade. So that's not just the little kids. There are absolutely some roles that would be great for some of your older kids. And it's a good opportunity for you to talk to them about serving. So that happens today at 3 o'clock. Laura, are you in here? Not yet. Um, she stepped out. But if you have questions, ask myself. Laura's running around with the kids. When you pick up your children, they'll answer more questions. Um, our annual Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving fellowship meal, my favorite day of the year when we come together and eat, is happening the Sunday before Thanksgiving on the 22nd. Um, watch your communications, you guys. We'll be sending out a meal train this week so you can help sign up for side dishes. It always blows my mind how many people walk out the door when the food is lined up and you can smell it. So you guys, stay, eat the food, fellowship with one another. I love home groups, and that is a great opportunity, just like David said, where we can kind of take off that mask, where we don't have to just say, yeah, things are great, and we can kind of dig into how life really is in our home groups. But another fantastic way to find community is by staying together and fellowshipping when we have these churchwide events. So I hope you'll stay and bring something really yummy. Um, so watch your communications for that. Um, this Friday night, I know, it was a lot. I hope you were writing it down. Almost done. Ladies craft night. You guys voted craft night, game night. It was overwhelming. You guys want to do a craft. Yes, you do. So you guys come. We're going to do a craft this Friday night. Um, it says the time, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. It'll be in this building. I've had a couple of questions about childcare. You guys, bring your kids, especially if you have babies. I would love to hold them. Um, if you have other kiddos, we've got places. It's not a formal childcare, but you guys know we do life together. That's what we want to do here. So bring your kids. They'll run in, tell you that the brother hit the sister. You go, okay, hit our, you know, and they run off. It's fine. Um, we've got older kids, thankfully, um, that kind of help and we all work together. So again, if your husband or someone at home, a family member isn't able to help watch your kiddos, 
then bring them up here. We want you to come and we want you to fellowship with us. Okay, last but not least, we've had lots of visitors this morning and over the past few weeks. So if you haven't gotten one of these really fun mugs and I missed you this morning, there are some more back on the counter. They've got some information in there because again, we wanna help you get connected. We want to see your face at these events. And if we don't have your information, we can't kindly and politely and not too overwhelmingly contact you. So make sure we have your info. All right, um, that's all for today. Again, we rushed through those, but um, more information is always on all of our social media accounts and our website. So we're gonna go ahead and close out in prayer and David is gonna do that. Actually, Chuck's gonna do that. Let's all stand up. Chuck will dismiss us in a word. Pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and as we were reminded this morning we have so many things to be grateful for now father i it's my prayer that uh for all of us me included that these things we have heard this morning from you that david has brought that those wouldn't just roll off and be forgotten but that we would really seek to apply them in our lives Father, thank you for uh, each other, for the fellowship, for your word, and uh, we ask that you bring us back together next week. In Jesus' name, amen.